Section one of The Vertical City. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Lisa Reichert. The Vertical City by Fanny Hurst. Section one. She Walks in Beauty. Part one. By that same architectural gesture of grief, which caused Jehan at Agra to erect the Taj Mahal in memory of a dead wife and a cold hearthstone, so the Bon Ton Hotel, even to the pillars, with red freckled monoliths and peacock-backed lobby chairs, making the analogy rather absurdly complete, reared its fourteen stories of elegantly furnished suites, all the comforts and none of the discomforts of home. A mausoleum to the hearth, and as true to form as any that ever mourned the dynastic bones of an Augustus or a Hadrian, an Indiana limestone and Vermont marble tomb to Hestia. All ye who enter here at sixty dollars a week and up, leave behind the lingo of the fireside chair, parsley bed, servant problem, creton shoe-bags, hose-nozzle, dripping awnings, attic trunks, bird-houses, ice-cream salt, spare-room matting, bungalow aprons, mayonnaise receipt, fruit jars, spring painting, summer covers, fall cleaning, winter apples. The mosaic tablet of the family hotel is nailed to the room side of each door, and its commandments read something like this. One ring, bellboy. Two rings, chambermaid. Three rings, valet. Under no conditions are guests permitted to use electric irons in rooms cooking in rooms not permitted, no dogs allowed, management not responsible for loss or theft of jewels, same can be deposited for safekeeping in the safe at office. Note, our famous two-dollar table d'hote dinner is served in the red dining-room from 6.30 to 8. Music. It is doubtful if in all its hot-house garden of women the Hotel Bonton boasted a broken fingernail, or that little brash place along the forefinger that tattles so of potato peelings or asparagus scraping. The fourteenth-story manicure, steam-bath, and beauty parlours saw to all that, in spite of long bridge-table, lobby divan, and table d'hote séances, tea where the coffee was served with whipped cream and the tarts built in four tiers and mortared in mocha filling, the Bonton Hotel was scarcely more than an average of fourteen pounds overweight. Forty's silhouette, except for that cruel and irrefutable place where the throat will wattle, was almost interchangeable with eighteens. Indeed, Bonton grandmothers, with backs and French heels that were twenty years younger than their throats and bunions, vied with twenty's profile. Whistler's kind of mother, full of sweet years that were richer because she had dwelt in them, but whose eyelids were little weary, had no place there. Mrs. Gronauer, who occupied an outside southern exposure suite of five rooms and three baths, jazzed on the same cabaret floor with her granddaughters. Many the bun-ton afternoon devoted entirely to the possible lack of length of the new season's skirts, or the intricacies of the new filet lace patterns. Fads for the latest personal accoutrements gripped the bon ton in seasonal epidemics. The permanent wave swept it like a tidal one. In one winter of afternoons, 
enough coloured silk sweaters were knitted in the lobby alone to supply an orphan asylum, but didn't. The beaded bag, cunningly contrived, needleful by needleful, from little strands of coloured glass caviar, glittered its hour. Filet lace came then, sheerly, whole yokes of it for crepe de chine nightgowns and dainty scalloped edges for camisoles. Mrs. Samstag made six of the nightgowns that winter, three for herself and three for her daughter. Peach blowy pink ones with lace yokes that were scarcely more to the skin than the print of a wave edge running up sand, and then little frills of pink satin ribbon caught up here and there with the most delightful and unconvincing little blue satin rosebuds. It was bad for her neuralgic eye, the meanderings of the fillet pattern, but she liked the delicate threadiness of the handwork, and Mr. Latz liked watching her. There you have it, straight through the lacy mesh of the fillet to the heart interest. Mr. Lewis Latz, who was too short, slightly too stout, and too shy of likely length of swimming arm ever to have figured in any woman's inevitable visualization of her ultimate Leander, liked fascinatedly to watch Mrs. Samstag's nicely manicured fingers at work. He liked them passive, too. Best of all, he would have preferred to feel them between his own, but that had never been. Nevertheless, that desire was capable of catching him unawares. That very morning, as he had stood, in his sumptuous bachelor's apartment, strumming on one of the windows that overlooked an expansive tree-and-lake vista of Central Park, he had wanted, very suddenly and very badly, to feel those fingers in his, and to kiss down on them. Even in his busy broker's office this desire could cut him like a swift lance. He liked their taper and their rosy pointedness, those fingers, and the dry, neat way they had of stepping in between the threads. Mr. Latz's nails were manicured, too, not quite so pointedly, but just as correctly as Mrs. Samstag's. But his fingers were stubby and short. Sometimes he pulled at them until they cracked. Secretly he yearned for length of limb, of torso, even of finger. On this, one of a hundred such typical evenings in the Bonton lobby, Mr. Latz, sighing out a satisfaction of his inner man, sat himself down on a red velvet chair opposite Mrs. Samstag. His knees, widespread, taxed his knife-pressed grey trousers to their very last capacity, but he sat back in none the less evident comfort, building his fingers up into a little chapel. "'Well, how's Mr. Latz this evening?' asked Mrs. Samstag, her smile encompassing the question. "'If I was any better, I couldn't stand it,' relishing her smile and his reply. The Bonton had just dined, too well, from fruit flip a la Bonton, mulligatawny soup, filet of sole sauté, choice of, or both, poulette émincée and spring lamb grignon, and on through to fresh strawberry ice-cream in fluted paper boxes, petit four, and demi-tasse. Groups of carefully corseted women stood now beside the invitational plush divans and peacock chairs, paying twenty minutes after dinner standing penance. Men with Wall Street eyes and blood pressure slid surreptitious celluloid toothpicks and gathered around the cigar stand. Orchestra music flickered. Young girls, 
the traditions of demure sixteen hanging by one-inch shoulder straps, and who could not walk across a hardwood floor without sliding the last three steps, teetered in bare arm-in-arm -arm groups, swapping persiflage with pimply, patent-leather-haired young men who were full of nervous excitement and eager to excel in return badinage. Bellhops scurried with folding tables, bridge games formed. The theatre group got off, so to speak, showy women and show-off men, Mrs. Gronauer in a full-length mink coat that enveloped her like a squaw, a titillation of diamond aigrettes in her titianed hair, and an aftermath of scent as tangible as the trail of a wounded shark emerged from the elevator with her son and daughter-in-law. "'Foie!' said Mr. Latz, by way of somewhat unduly, perhaps, expressing his own kind of cognizance at the scented trail. "'Fleur de printemps,' said Mrs. Samstag, in quick olfactory analysis. Eight ninety-eight an ounce.' "'Used to it from home, not. She is not. Believe me, I knew Max Gronauer when he first started in the produce business in Jersey City, and the only perfume he had was at seventeen cents a pound, and not always fresh-killed at that. Cold storage to printemps. "'Max Gronauer died just two months after my husband,' said Mrs. Samstag tucking away into her beaded handbag her filet lace handkerchief, itself guilty of a not inexpensive attar. Thu thu, clucked Mr. Latz, for a want of a fitting retort. Hi ho, I always say we have so little in common, me and Mrs. Gronauer. She revokes so in bridge, and I think it's terrible for a grandmother to blondine so red. But we've both been widows for almost eight years. Eight years,' repeated Mrs. Samstag, on a small, scented sigh. He was inordinately sensitive to these allusions, reddening and wanting to seem appropriate. "'Poor little woman, you've had your share of trouble.' "'Share,' she repeated, swallowing a gulp, and pressing the line of her eyebrows as if her thoughts were sobbing. "'I, it's as I tell Alma, Mr. Latz. Sometimes I think I've had three times my share.' My one consolation is that I try to make the best of it. That's my motto in life. Keep a bold front. For the life of him, all he could find to convey to her the bleeding quality of his sympathy was, Poor, poor little woman. Hi-ho, she said, and again, hi-ho. There was quite a nape to her neck. He could see it where the carefully trimmed brown hair left it for a rise to skilful coiffure and what threatened to be a slight depth of flesh across the shoulders had been carefully massaged of this tendency fifteen minutes each night and morning by her daughter in fact through the black transparency of her waist mr latz thought her plumply adorable it was about the eyes that mrs samstag showed most plainly whatever inroads into her clay the years might have gained there were little dark areas beneath them like smeared charcoal, and two unrelenting sacks that threatened to become pouchy. Their effect was not so much one of years, but they gave Mrs. Samstag, in spite of the only slightly plump and really passable figure, the look of one out of health. Women of her kind of sallowness can be found daily in fashionable physicians' outer offices, awaiting X-ray appointments. What ailed Mrs. Samstag was hardly organic. She was the victim of periodic and raging neuralgic fires that could sweep the right side of her head and down into her shoulder-blade, 
with a great crackling and blazing of nerves. It was not unusual for her daughter Alma to sit up the one or two nights that it could endure, unfailing through the wee hours in her chain of hot applications. For a week sometimes these attacks heralded their comings with little jabs, like the pricks of an exploring needle. Then the under-eyes began to look their muddiest. They were darkening now, and she put up two fingers with a little pressing movement to her temple. "'You're a great little woman,' reiterated Mr. Latz, rather riveting even Mrs. Samstag's suspicion that here was no great stickler for variety of expression. "'I try to be,' she said, his tone inviting out in her a mood of sweet forbearance. "'And a great sufferer, too,' he said, noting the pressing fingers. She coloured under this delightful impeachment. "'I wouldn't wish one of my neuralgia spells to my worst enemy, Mr. Latz.' "'If you were mine, I mean, if the, say, w was mine, I wouldn't stop until I had you to every specialist in Europe. I know a thing or two about those fellows over there. Some of them are wonders.' Mrs. Samstag looked off, her profile inclined to lift and fall as if by little pulleys of emotion. "'That's easier said than done, Mr. Latz, by a widow who wants to do right by her grown daughter and living so, so high since the war.' "'I, I,' said Mr. Latz, leaping impulsively forward on the chair that was as tightly upholstered in effect as he in his modish suit, then clutching himself there as if he had caught the impulse on the fly. "'I just wish I could help.' "'Oh,' she said and threw up a swift brown look from the lace-making, and then at it again. He laughed, but from nervousness. My little mother was an ailer, too. That's me, Mr. Latz. Not sick, just ailing. I always say that it's ridiculous that a woman in such perfect health as I am should be such a sufferer. Same with her and her joints. Why, except for this old neuralgia— I can outdo Alma when it comes to dancing down in the grill with the young people of an evening, or shopping. More like sisters than any mother and daughter I ever saw. Mother and daughter, but which is which from the back, some of my friends put it, said Mrs. Samstag, not without a curve to her voice. Then hastily, but the best child, Mr. Latz, the best that ever lived, a regular little mother to me in my spells. Nice girl, Alma. It snowed so the day of my husband's funeral. Why, do you know that up till then I never had an attack of neuralgia in my life? I didn't even know what a headache was. That long drive, that windy hilltop with two men to keep me from jumping into the grave after him. Ask Alma. That's how I care when I care. But of course, as the saying is, time heals. But that's how I got my first attack. Intenseness is what the doctors called it. I'm terribly intense. I guess when a woman like you cares like you cared, it's not much use hoping you would ever care again. That's the way of it, isn't it? If he had known it, there was something about this intensity of expression to inspire mirth. His eyebrows lifted to little gothic arches of anxiety. A rash of tiny perspiration broke out over his blue-shaved face, and as he sat on the edge of his chair, it seemed that inevitably the tight, sausage-like knees must push their way through mere fabric. Ordinarily, he presented the slightly bay-windowed, bay-rummed, spatted, 
and somewhat jowled well-being of the wall street bachelor who is a musical comedy first-nighter can dig the meat out of the lobster claw hole takes his beefsteak rare and with two or three condiments and wears his elk's tooth hanging from his waistcoat pocket and mounted on a band of platinum and tiny diamonds mothers of debutantes were by no means unamiably disposed towards him but the debutantes themselves slithered away like slim-flanked minnows it was rumoured that one summer at the royal palisades hotel in atlantic city he had become engaged to a slim-flanked one from akron ohio but on the evening of the first day she had seen him in a bathing suit the rebellious young girl and a bitterly disappointed and remonstrating mother had departed on the buckeye for points west there was almost something of the nudity of arm and leg he must have presented to eighteen's tender sensibilities in mr latz's expression now as he sat well forward on the overstuffed chair his overstuffed knees strained apart his face nude of all pretense and creased with anxiety that's about the way of it isn't it he said again into the growing silence suddenly mrs samstag's fingers were rigid at their task of lace-making the scraping of the orchestral violin tearing the roaring noises in her ears into ribbons of alternate sound and vacuum as if she were closing her ears and opening them so roaringly the blood pounded i when a woman cares for a man like i did mr latz she'll never be happy until she cares again like that i always say once an affectionate nature always an affectionate nature you mean he said leaning forward the imperceptible half-inch that was left of the chair you mean me the smell of bay rum came out greenly then as the moisture sprang out on his scalp i-i'm a home woman mr latz you can put a fish in water but you cannot make him swim that's me and hotel life at this somewhat cryptic apothem mr latz's knee touched mrs samstag's so that he sprang back full of nerves at what he had not intended marry me carrie he said more abruptly than he might have without the act of that knee to immediately justify she spread the lace out on her lap ostensibly to the hotel lobby they were as casual as my mulligatawny soup was cold to-night or have you heard the new one that al jolson pulls at the winter garden but actually the roar was higher than ever in mrs samstag's ears and he could feel the plethoric red rushing in flashes over his body marry me carrie he said as if to prove that his stiff lips could repeat their incredible feat with a woman's talent for them her tears sprang mr latz lewis he interpolated widely eloquent of eyebrow and posture you're proposing lewis she explained rather than asked and placed her hand to her heart so prettily that he wanted to crush it there with his kisses god bless you for knowing it so easy carrie a young girl would make it so hard it's just what has kept me from asking you weeks ago this getting it said carrie will you i'm a widow mr latz lewis lou lou with a grown daughter not one of those merry widows you read about that's me a bachelor on top but a home man underneath why up to five years ago carrie while the best little mother a man ever had was alive i never had eyes for a woman or it's common talk what a grand son you were to her mr la 
Lewis? Lou. Lou? I don't want to seem to brag, Carrie, but you saw the coat that just walked out on Mrs. Cronauer? My little mother, she was a humpback, Carrie, not a real one, but all stooped from the heavy years when she was helping my father to get his start. Well, anyway, that little stooped back was one of the reasons why I was so anxious to make it up to her, you understand? Yes, Lou. But you saw that mink coat? Well, my little mother, three years before she died, was wearing one like that in sable, real Russian, set me back eighteen thousand wholesale, and she never knew different than that it cost eighteen hundred. Proudest moment of my life when I helped my little old mother into her own automobile in that sable coat. I had some friends lived in the Grenoble apartments when you did, the Adelbergs. They used to tell me how it hung right down to her heels, and she never got into the auto that she didn't pick it up so as not to sit on it. That there coat is packed away in cold storage now, Carrie, waiting, without me exactly knowing why, I guess, for, for the one little woman in the world besides her, I would let so much as touch its hem. Mrs. Samstag's lips parted, her teeth showing through like light. Oh, she said, Sable! That's my fur, too, Lou. I've never owned any, but ask Alma if I don't stop to look at it in every show window. Sable. Carrie, would you? Could you? I'm not what you would call a youngster in years, I guess, but forty-four isn't. I'm forty-one, Louis. A man like you could have younger. No, that's what I don't want. In my lonesomeness, after my mother's death, I thought once that maybe a young girl from the West, nice girl with her mother from Ohio, but I... Funny thing, now I come to think about it, I never once mentioned my little mother's sable coat to her. I couldn't have satisfied a young girl like that, or her me, Carrie, any more than I could satisfy Alma. It was one of those mama-made matches that we got into because we couldn't help it, and out of it before it was too late. No, no, Carrie, what I want is a woman as near as possible to my own age. Lou, I... I couldn't start in with you, even with one little lie that gives every woman a right to be a liar. I'm forty-three, Louis. Nearer to forty-four. You're not mad, Lou? God love it, if that ain't a little woman for you. Mad? Why, just your doing that little thing with me raises your stock fifty per cent. I'm that way. We're a lot alike, Carrie. For five years I've been living in this hotel because it's the best I can do under the circumstances. But at heart I'm a home man, Carrie, and unless I'm pretty much off my guess, you are too. I mean, a home woman, right? Me all over, Lou. Ask Alma if. I've got the means, too, Carrie, to give a woman a home to be proud of. Just for fun, ask Alma, Lou, if one year since her father's death I haven't said, Alma, I wish we had the heart to go back housekeeping. I knew it. But I ask you, Louis, what's been the incentive? Without a man in the house, I wouldn't have the same interest. That first winter after my husband died, I didn't even have the heart to take the summer covers off the furniture. Alma was a child then, too, so I kept asking myself, for what should I take an interest? You can believe me or not, but half the time with just me to eat it, I wouldn't bother with more than a cold snack for supper. And everyone knew what a table we used to set, but with no one to come home evenings expecting a hot meal. You poor little woman! I know how it is. Why, if I so much as used to telephone that I couldn't get home for supper, 
Right away I knew the little mother would turn out the gas under what was cooking and not eat enough herself to keep a bird alive. Housekeeping is no life for a woman alone. On the other hand, Mr. Latz, Lewis, Lou, on my income, and with a daughter growing up, and naturally anxious to give her the best, it hasn't been so easy. People think I'm a rich widow, and with her father's memory to consider, and a young lady daughter, naturally I let them think it. But on my seventy-four hundred a year it has been hard to keep up appearances in a hotel like this. Not that I think you think I'm a rich widow, but just the same. That's me every time, right out with the truth from the start. It shows you're a clever little manager to be able to do it. We lived big and spent big while my husband lived. He was as shrewd a jobber in knit underwear as the business ever saw, but, well, you know how it is, pneumonia. I always say he wore himself out with conscientiousness. Maybe you don't believe it, Carrie, but it makes me happy what you just said about money. It means I can give you things you couldn't afford for yourself. I don't say this for publication, Carrie, but in Wall Street alone, outside of my brokerage business, I cleared 86000 last year. I can give you the best. You deserve it, Carrie. Will you say yes? My daughter, Lou, she's only 18, but she's my shadow. I lean on her so. A sweet, dutiful girl like Alma would be the last to stand in her mother's light. But remember, Louis, you're marrying a little family. That don't scare me. She's my only. We're different-natured. Alma's a Samstag through and through. Quiet, reserved, but she's my all, Louis. I love my baby too much to, to marry where she wouldn't be as welcome as the day itself. She's precious to me, Louis. Why, of course, you wouldn't be you if she wasn't. You think I would want you to feel different? I mean, Louis, no matter where I go, more than with most children, she's part of me, Lou. I, why, that child won't so much as go to spend the night with a girlfriend away from me. Her quiet ways don't show it, but Alma has character. You wouldn't believe it, Louis, how she takes care of me. Why, Carrie, the first thing we pick out in our new home will be a room for her. Lou! Not that she will want it long, the way I see that young rascal Friedlander sits up to her. A better young fellow and a better business head you couldn't pick for her. Didn't that youngster go out to Dayton the other day and land a contract for the surgical fittings for a big new clinic out there before the local firms even rubbed the sleep out of their eyes? I have it from a good authority. Friedlander Clinical Supply Company doubled their excess profit tax last year. A white flash of something that was almost fear seemed to strike Mrs. Samstag into a rigid pallor. No, no! I'm not like most mothers, Lewis, for marrying their daughters off. I want her with me. If marrying her off is your idea, it's best you know it now in the beginning. I want my little girl with me. I have to have my little girl with me. He was so deeply moved that his eyes were embarrassingly moist. Why, Carrie, every time you open your mouth you only prove to me further what a grand little woman you are. You'll like Alma when you get to know her, Louis. Why, I do now. Always have said she's a sweet little thing. She is quiet and hard to get acquainted with at first, but that is reserve. She's not forward like most young girls nowadays. She's the kind of a child that would rather go upstairs evenings with a book or her sewing than sit down here in the lobby. That's where she is now. 
give me that kind every time in preference to all these gay young chickens that know more they oughtn't to know about life before they start than my little mother did when she finished but do you think that girl will go to bed before i come up not a bit of it she's been my comforter and my salvation in my troubles more like the mother i sometimes tell her and me the child if you want me lewis it's got to be with her too i couldn't give up my baby not my baby why carrie have your baby to your heart's content she's got to be a fine girl to have you for a mother and now it will be my duty to please her as a father carrie will you have me oh lewis lou carrie my dear and so it was that carrie samstag and lewis latz came into their betrothal end of she walks in beauty part one